When I was 15 years old, I had the chance to go to, uh, on this big trip where uh, I was a Boy Scout. So we were going to go to the National uh, Boy Scout Jamboree thing. And uh, before we went to the Jamboree, though, we got to go to Florida and go to Disney World for two and a half days. Um, and then we got to go spend two and a half days in Washington, D.C. Now, the cool thing about going to Washington, D.C. is I was too dumb to recognize how cool it was. It was one of those things where I'm like, oh, great, we went to all these different places, and I didn't even realize the history that was in front of me. I was oblivious to it. But you know what I walked away from, from Washington, D.C.? This is my number one memory of Washington. And this is sad. This just tells you where I was as a 15-year-old boy. Is we're walking around the streets of Washington, D.C., and this guy says, hey, what's up, dog? And I'm like, who? He's like, yeah, you, homie, what's up? And I'm like, not much. What's up with you, homie? I, like, yeah, I, I can dig this. And he's like, you know what you need, man? He said, man, you'd be dope if you had some sunglasses. And I'm like, yeah, I, I think you're right. Like, I, yeah, man, I, I'd be dope. This guy was wearing this big trench coat. And he goes, man, I got you covered. He opens up his trench coat. And there is glasses upon glasses in his trench coat. And he goes, hey, 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 man, these, these aren't regular glasses. These are Oakleys. And I was like, wow, Oakleys. Like, is that cool? He goes, yeah, man. These are like $150 glasses. But I'm going to make you a deal. I'm, I'm discounting them 10 bucks. 10 bucks. And I was like, wow. This guy said I'd be dope if I had these glasses. And he's obviously really cool. Man, I, so I pulled out my little wallet. My mom, I don't know, she gave me like, I don't know, 40 bucks. I'm like, I'll take three pairs. Literally bought three pairs of Oakley sunglasses off a guy in the street corner in Washington, D.C. And I came back and sold two of those glasses for 30 bucks a piece. So I made a profit on those glasses. But now that I've gotten a little bit older, I think I've realized, I don't think those were real Oakleys. I think you call them Jokeleys. I think they were cheap knockoffs. How many of you guys ever had cheap knockoffs? Like growing up, like we didn't have the Nikes. We had the cheap knockoff Nikes because that's just the way it was. And, and, and so it comes to things like this, and we can have some fun about cheap knockoffs. But when we start talking about faith, that's when it becomes really dangerous. In fact, uh, the closer that someone gets to the truth without actually having the truth is incredibly dangerous. And you think about, you think about jokeleys, you think, well, that's not that big of a deal. But when you're dealing with faith, the closer that someone gets to the truth of who Jesus is without actually having the truth, that person becomes incredibly dangerous, incredibly misled. If you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to, to pull your Bible out. If you've got a phone, you can pull your phone up. It used to be a day and age where a pastor would say, please open your Bible. And I'm going to tell you, please turn on your Bible Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount for uh, a number of weeks now, and we're getting close to being the end. Next week will be the conclusion of, of the Sermon on the Mount series. Uh, I've loved this because in the last number of weeks, we've looked at uh, what does it look like for us to, to live life in the kingdom of God. If we say that we belong to Jesus, if we say that we're Christian, then Jesus says this is what it looks like for you and I to live in the kingdom of God. We talked about dealing with anger. We talked about dealing with lust. We talked about marriage and how, how that looks in the kingdom of God. We talked about prayer. We talked about judging others. 
We talked about anxiety. We talked about money. Um, we talked of all these things. And last week we saw the summary of what Jesus said. This is what it looks like for you and I to live in the kingdom of God. Is our life is characterized by the golden rule. That we would do unto others as we would have them do to us. That's the summary. That's the, the big picture of what it looks like for you and I to live in the kingdom of God. Is we live with an others focused. And now we come to the end of the sermon. And we started this last week. Where Jesus has said, listen, I, I've given you all this information. And you can, you, can, you can love my word and you can appreciate my word. But he said, Admir- admiration without action is deadly. We said that conviction without commitment is pointless. And so here we've heard all these things about the kingdom of God. And this is what it looks like. And now Jesus at the point of a sermon, he says, we've got to do something with this. We can't just agree to it. We can't just say, that's good. We can't just say, amen. We actually have to go and do something with the truths that we've heard. Meaning we can agree with all the stuff. But if we don't do anything, if we don't live it out, it's pointless. And so we're going to deal with today. We're going to deal with, with a group of people that Jesus is going to talk about. A group of people who are close to the truth. Who probably have a, a, a uh, who, who might agree with the truth. Who might say, all that Jesus said, yes, that's good, amen. Yes, I agree with all of that. These are people who are so close to the truth, but have missed out on the action that God actually wants. Have missed out with the response that Jesus requires because they don't have the commitment to actually follow Jesus. So here's, Here's our big idea for today. You want to write this down. Here's what we're going to get across. Is that if we have a genuine faith, if we have a genuine faith, then the fruit of our life, the evidence of our faith is going to be rooted in a relationship with Jesus. If you and I, if we have, if we are a genuine believer in Jesus Christ, if we are genuinely belong to the kingdom of God, then there's going to be fruit or evidence of our life that is rooted first and foremost in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 7, before we jump in, I'm just going to ask you to pray with me. God, just uh, come before you today and thank you for uh, your presence with us. Thank you for your grace on us. Thank you, God, that you uh, are willing to, to speak hard truths to us. And Lord, as we deal with, with, with uh, a group of people today that God would look like many of us, that would talk like we do, that would do many of the things that we do, but God, these were people who were, were outside of your kingdom. So God, I pray that you help us to look inside of our hearts today and say, God, what am I building my faith upon? What am I building my existence upon? That God, we would search our hearts to know whether or not we are a part of God's kingdom. God, I pray that you would open our minds to hear your word today, that we wouldn't be coming to hear a pastor give his opinions on how we're supposed to live, but God, we would hear your living word speaking today, Jesus. We we plead for your presence with us now in your holy name. Amen. So here's what Jesus says. Uh, Matthew uh, chapter 7, starting in verse 15. Jesus says, beware. He says, listen, you guys need to watch out. He says, I, I am warning you. I want you to be prepared because there's something that's going to happen. And we see this in the Old Testament. We see this in the New Testament. It happens all over the place. Here's what he says. Here's what's going to happen. Beware of false prophets. Beware of people who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And he's saying, listen, you need to be on the lookout. This is going to happen. This isn't a, a well, it, hypothetical. It may occur. No, Jesus is saying, you have to watch out. You have to be prepared for this. You know, because when we start thinking about 
probably the greatest uh, danger to the church. I'll be honest, probably the greatest danger from the church doesn't come from the outside. It comes from the in. I mean, you think about this. If there was some fruitcake heretic who were to come in and be able to come into the church and say, I'm going to tell you, you know, whatever it happens to be. Like if someone came in and was just blatantly like way out in left field, most of us would probably hit him in the head with our Bibles and send him packing. Like that's what would happen in most of our churches. Somebody comes in with something that is completely foreign. We'd say, no, that's not, that's not gospel. That's not the Bible. The most dangerous person that's going to come in is what Jesus just said is, is going to be a wolf dressed up as a sheep. It's going to be someone who gives the appearance of a Christian, who, who gives the appearance of belonging to God, but actually has is, is not embraced the truth. Jesus calls these people uh, wolves in sheep's clothing, ravenous wolves. Maybe you might want to call them a better term, werewolf. Because you think about a werewolf, you think about teen werewolf, Michael J. Fox, right? Like Michael J. Fox, most of the time, dude, that guy's likable, he's charismatic, he's influential. But then there's certain times, usually in a hidden way, that he becomes extremely scary and leads people away. This is what Jesus is talking about. That there's going to be werewolves that come to the church that most of the time look good. Most of these individuals, their ideas, activities, uh, uh, they sound like they're religious. They sound like they're full of piety. They sound Christian. These guys come into the church and they're clothed with their clerical robes. They've got these great academics. Look, I've got this degree and I've, I went to this seminary and I did these, all these great things. And they can use all this theological vocabulary and use all these big fancy Greek words. And usually they've got their personality traits that make it extremely difficult to say, I, I don't want to follow this guy because he's so likable. But Jesus says these guys don't have the ultimate good. Remember we talked about last week about the two different roads. You've got the wide road that many are on. And everybody says it leads to heaven, but it doesn't. It's, a, it's an illusion. And you've got this narrow road. It's a little bit harder of a road, but it's the one that leads to eternal life. And you've got these wolves that come in and they sound, hey, I'm, I'm religious, I'm Christian. Look, I use the same words that you do. But Jesus said they're leading you down the wide road that ends in destruction. So Jesus gives us his warning. He says, listen, you need to beware for these types of people. Beware for werewolves in the church. And the question then becomes, well, how do I know? How do I, how do I spot that person? Like, if Jesus tells me I need to watch out for the church, how do I know if somebody is a wolf in sheep's clothing? And this is what Jesus is going to give us a couple verses on. It's going to say in verse 16, he says, you will recognize them by their fruits. He goes and says, you will recognize them uh, uh, by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus is likening these people from a genuine, true gospel teacher to a false teacher. He's saying they're kind of like these trees. You've got one tree that produces a fruit that is genuine. It's a healthy fruit. It's a good fruit. It's good for you. You've got this other tree that produces a diseased fruit. 
a fruit that will actually decay you from the inside out. And he says, here's how you know whether a person is a, a false teacher or not. He said, you, 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 you test their fruit. They will be known by their fruit. Notice what he doesn't say, though. He doesn't say test their works. He doesn't say they will be known by their works. He doesn't say they will be known by their gifts and how, how gifted of a communicator and how gifted of a leader they are. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say uh, they will be known by their results, right? Because what often happens is in our culture, in our society, we're a people of appearances. And so when we look at someone and they've got the right appearance, uh, we put a great value on, on, on what people do. We put a great value on their actions and on their, on their results, and so someone can come in and preach a great message. If someone can come in and, and, and be a great leader and build a big church, we are quick to excuse people because they're successful, because they're effective. In fact, there is a, a big church in Seattle. And we can even go as far as to say that um, we excuse disqualifying deficiencies in a person's character if that person proves to be effective. We might even call that person anointed. And again, because we are enamored with appearances. We're people who look and say, look what they can do. They can do this good thing. So of course they've got to be genuine. And Jesus said, listen, here's your caution. Because that bad tree produces a diseased, a, a, a diseased fruit. Notice it doesn't say that that fruit is, is, is shriveled up. That fruit, it doesn't look bad. On the outside, it looks like it's, it's a generous, it looks like it's a good fruit. But Jesus says it's disease, which means on the inside, there's something wrong with that fruit that is going to bring destruction. There's something on the inside that makes that fruit bad. So how do we, how do we know what the, how can we identify which fruit is good and which fruit is bad? And here's what Jesus is going to say, or, or here's what we're going to do. We're going to say that we, t- how do you test those fruits? You're looking for two things. You're looking for doctrine and deeds. The first idea, you're looking at doctrine. Because what the, te- what, what the person teaches is, is very important, is significant. Remember, this person is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Which means that as a sheep, when they're faking a sheep, they know how to use religious terms. And they often sound very Christian. But somewhere along the way, you're going to find that their, their, their doctrine is a little bit skewed. Or their beliefs are a little bit skewed. Two examples of, of, of how uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing will confuse doctrine. First one um, is this type of person will use a lot of the same Christian terms, but they have very different definitions for what those terms mean. Okay? So they use the same terms. We talk about the gospel. We talk about salvation. We talk about these things, but they have a very different meaning behind them. For example, I, I grew up as a Mormon. And the Mormons do this same exact thing where they take some of these, these, these gospel words, these Bible words, and they put a very different meaning on them. They'll say, yes, yes, we believe that Jesus died for my salvation. I mean, I mean that's what a Mormon will say. Yes, Jesus died for my salvation. But when they say Jesus died for their salvation, like we understand from the Bible, Jesus died for all of our salvation. Like there's nothing we can do to, to earn God's favor. A Mormon will say, well, Jesus died for my salvation, but he only died for a percentage of it. And so, so you've got to do so much 
so, many, uh, so much work. So maybe for you, it might be you have to do 30% of the work on your own. And then Jesus covers the other 70%. Or, or maybe for someone else, maybe you've got to do 60% and Jesus covers the other 40%. And so here's, here's what happens is you have uh, more uh, false teachers who take things that we know in the Bible and things that we read, and they put a very different definition on what they are, which is important. We have to recognize those things. The second thing that um, often happens with false teachers, and I actually had a friend uh, that I found out fell prey to this this past week, is that false teachers begin to take theological things and put them out of order. All right, so if you can picture, like, we have, like, a top ten list. Like, there's things that all Christians need to be in agreement on. These are the top things that, that they, they are foundations of our faith. You might look and say the Bible being the authoritative word of God. That's a foundational belief. We have to be in agreement about that. We have to be in agreement that Jesus was the sinless son of God, born of a virgin. Like, that's pretty foundational. That's got to be up on the list. We've got to believe what Jesus said his mission was for. And what he gave us is our mission. Jesus came to, to do what? To seek and to save the lost. Like very clearly. Like that's got to be foundational. We've got to understand that. But what happens as a false teacher is there's all these secondary issues that are lower on the list. Maybe 10, 11, 12. Things like uh, your mode of baptism. Things like uh, the style of, of, of music that you prefer in church. Things like the, the use of the sign gifts. And oftentimes what happens with a false teacher is you take some of these lower secondary issues and they place them higher to being primary issues. And so they'll take things like the sign gifts and say, well, Jesus didn't really come to seek and save the lost. He didn't call us to go and seek and save the lost. He called us to go and heal all the world. So our job is to go and do all these miracles. And so it takes our eyes off what Jesus said we're supposed to do. And that's where these false teachers begin to come in. And they're talking these same things, but they're putting them out of order. They're saying, instead of these things being foundational, I'm going to move this up and move these down. So then this becomes foundational. Jesus is saying we need to beware. And as a false teacher, as any teacher comes in, you need to listen to their doctrine and test their doctrine. Does their doctrine align to what the Bible says? Is it consistent with what Scripture says? So he says, test their fruit, test their doctrine. Also, we need to test their deeds. This is a character test. Because again, Christianity is not about doing something. Christianity is about being something. He says this is a character test. This is where when Jesus started out the Sermon on the Mount, he gave us a Beatitudes. He said, these are the attitudes that should be characteristic in a Christian's life. He said, they need to be poor in spirit, which means that they are spiritually dependent on God and not on themselves. He said, they need to be, uh, they need to mourn. Uh, blessed are those who mourn, people who mourn over their sin, who recognize their brokenness instead of living in pride of, look how great I am. He said, blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who are gentle and self-controlled in their life. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who, who, who seek after the things of God more than the things of this world. He said, blessed are the, the merciful. Blessed are those people who love those who are in misery, who walk alongside them. Blessed are the pure in heart, 
which means those who are without an ulterior motive, without a hidden motive. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. Those are people who who make situations better, not worse. These are the Beatitudes. These are the characteristics that should define a Christian's life. And this is where when we're looking and we're testing the fruits of a person's life, of a teacher's life, we're looking at their deeds and saying, listen, does their character, does it match what Jesus just said? Does it match the Beatitudes, what it looks like for you and I to live in the kingdom of God? See, often what happens is we develop the same character traits as our teachers. And if Jesus is our leader, if Jesus is the God of our life, then our life should begin to reflect him. It should reflect these beatitudes, these these characteristics. And I'll tell you the truth. Sometimes, sometimes some of our characteristics, some of our flaws can be hidden. But character is always going to reveal itself. Jesus said, listen, beware of false teachers. You need to test their fruit, test their doctrine, test their deeds. Because eventually it's going to be out there. It'll always reveal itself. So here's this warning. Beware of false teachers. Beware of false teachers. Test their fruits. But then there's a second idea. Well, if there's false teachers out there, how do I, how do I know if I've been deceived or not? Like, 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 what if one of these false teachers came in, and what if I bought into their, their, their facade? And what if they're leading me down the wide road? How do, how do I know if I've been deceived? And Jesus says, I'm going to answer that for you too. He says in verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Wow. Jesus is saying, just as there are false teachers that look Christian, that sound Christian, that, 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 that do the work of the church, but aren't genuine, Jesus said there is going to be people who, who, who are in our churches, who are doing the work of the ministry, but their hearts are far from Christ. And on that day that they die and they face judgment with God, he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Their true hearts are going to be revealed. Can you think of anything more terrifying than that? On that judgment day before God, and him is saying, depart from me, I never knew you. Question is, how can I know? How can I know where I'm at? As you look at this, Jesus gives us some clues. How can I know whether or not I belong to the kingdom of God? The first thing that we learn in this couple of verses is that intellectual understanding is not enough. I mean, look, look, look what Jesus says they said. They, they said, uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. I mean, these people call him Lord. They, they believe certain things about Jesus. Oh, I believe Jesus. I believe that you're the son of God. I, I believe that you did that for me. I mean, there's certain things that, that we have to believe. That Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus died on the cross. Uh, that he rose from the grave to defeat death and Satan and hell. There are things that we must believe. But just believing those things is not enough. 
In fact, Matthew chapter 8 talks about how the demons acknowledge Jesus' authority. They acknowledge, hey, yeah, you are God. James 2.19 says, you believe that God is one, you do well, but even the demons believe and they shudder. The demons are not Christians, yet they believe certain things to be true about God. Jesus wants us to understand that, that everyone who believes in Jesus will declare him as Lord. But not, every, but not everybody who declares Jesus as Lord truly believes those things. He says intellectual understanding is not enough. He's going to teach us that emotional feeling or an emotional response is not enough. Notice, notice what the people say to him. They say, verse 21 uh, and verse 22, Lord, 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 Lord. When you repeat a name in the Bible, it's a sign of affection. It, it, it's an emotional connection. You see this in 2 Samuel chapter 19, as David weeps over his son Absalom, who's died. He says, Absalom, Absalom. He repeats saying this is a, a sign of affection, a sign of love. In fact, in, in Luke chapter 10, you've got the story of Mary and Martha. And, and Martha's all distressed, and Jesus comes to her and says, Martha, Martha. Repeating a name is a sign of affection. It's emotional connection. So these people, they call Jesus Lord, Lord. There's, there's feelings involved. There's, there's emotions involved. They're excited about God. But despite their excitement about the things of God, they are still outside of the kingdom of God. So how, how can that be? They, they had an emotional response. Listen, the reality of it, I'm not sure we can always trust our emotions. Oftentimes, our emotions come from the flesh, not necessarily from the things of God. Not every tear that we share, not every burning in our stomach is a work of God. Sometimes it's just bad Chinese food, bad Mexican food, right? More emotion does not necessarily mean more spirituality. It might just mean that you are an emotional person by nature. Now, let me just say, I'd love to see more emotion. I think emotion is, is a good thing. But just because you're emotional does not mean that you are a more spiritual person. So Jesus says, listen, intellectual understanding is not enough. He's going to say that emotional feelings are not enough. And he's going to say that words are, and our work is not enough. You see this again, verse 22. They said, hey, Jesus... Did we not do all these things? Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we, did we not cast out demons? Did we not do mighty works in your name? They pointed all these things that they did for God. Hey God, what about all those things that we did? What about all those times that we were in church? What about how we went to, to, to Bible school? Remember, remember how we all did all these things? These people that Jesus is talking about are people that are in the church. These are people that are doing legitimate ministry in the church. They're serving the poor. They're doing miraculous healings. They went to prayer meetings. They've been on mission trips. They've probably stood up and preached uh, sermons about Jesus. And Jesus said this. Jesus said, it's not enough. He said, depart from me. I never knew you. See, I think the reality of it is, some of us, we, we like the idea of God. We like the idea of Jesus. We like the idea of church. We like the security of knowing that we're going to go to heaven. We, like, we even like the, the, the people. We want to be a good person. 
And so we think, well, if I just go and I be a part of the church, it'll make me a better person. But listen, if serving God, if following after God is just a way to a better life, it's just a way for you to escape hell, that's not Christianity. This passage is heavy, but it forces us to focus. What is our true basis for our salvation? Let me ask you that question. What is your true basis for your salvation? When you stand before God on the final day, the day you meet your maker, what are you pointing to in your life? Listen, truthfully, there's going to be someone here that point to say, hey, look at all these things that I knew about you. Look at all the knowledge I had. I knew my Bible inside and out. I knew theology. And so, God, I should be into your kingdom because of all I knew about you. I, I, I knew everything about the Bible. There's going to be others who say, you know what? Jesus, I need to come in because I had an emotional response. I was excited about you and excited about what you did. And I had this emotional response. And so that makes me a part of you. You need to let me in because I had that. And there's still going to be others that are going to, uh, the day they meet Jesus, the day they meet God, you're going to say, you know, Jesus, you need to let me into your kingdom because look at all the things I did for you. Look at all those years I served in the nursery. Look at all those years I served on the setup and teardown team. Look at all those times I taught Sunday school classes. Look at all those mission trips I went on. And what Jesus wants us to understand is eternal life has nothing to do with what we understand, has nothing to do with what we feel, has nothing to do with what we do. Notice, Jesus doesn't say, depart from me because you didn't understand enough about me. He doesn't say, depart from me because you didn't have enough knowledge. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, depart from me because you didn't have enough emotional response to me. You weren't emotionally connected to me. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, depart from me because you didn't do enough in the church. You didn't serve me good enough. No, what he says, depart from me. I never knew you. He doesn't say, depart from me, you never knew me. He said, depart from me because I never knew you. Kind of give you a picture of what Jesus is trying to say. My brother is eight years older than I was. And uh, when he was in high school... Uh, I looked up to him. My dad died when I was young, so my brother was like this, this, this glorious figure in my mind. And uh, his friends came over one day, and they were playing the original Nintendo. And they were playing track and field on the 8-bit Nintendo. And there's these two little buttons, and you're trying to run really fast. And, and I'm sitting there watching them, feeling like I'm a part of them. I'm sitting there being a part of my brother and his friends because I think they're so cool. I think they even let me play once, and they just smoked me because they were so much better than I was. But I remember how cool I thought they were, and I was like, man, I want to be like these guys. They start talking about their plans for the night. They're like, oh, we're going to go to the movie. I don't know what movie it was. Maybe it was Ninja Turtles. Isn't this like the 26th anniversary of that Ninja Turtle movie coming out? I don't know, something like that. They're like, hey, we're going to go to the movie. And I'm like, sweet, dude, I'm, I get to go to the movie with the guys. So they say it's time to go. They get up and start, and I get ready. My brother goes, what are you doing? It's like, well, you know, I, I've been hanging out with you guys. He goes, no, no, you haven't been. You've been sitting in the corner watching us, wanting to be like us. He said, you're not with us. So you ever have this idea that, that you assume, well, because I'm in the, I'm around them, that just makes me a part of them. I get to do what they do. My brother said, no, 
No, you're not a part of the group. See, how many of us live our, our faith like that? Lord, well, I'm around the church. I'm around. I've got the knowledge. I have that emotional connection. Man, I've done all these things. I, I'm good enough. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. When you consider the quality of your faith, when you consider the basis of your faith, when you consider what makes you acceptable to God, where does your mind go? Is it your knowledge? Is it an emotional connection? Is it what you do? Or are you drawn to think away from yourself and to begin to think about the work of Jesus Christ? Instead of being, this is what I've done for you. This is what I've done for you, God. Look at all these things I know. Look at this response emotionally had to you. Look at, look at all I've done. Do you say, no, it's not about any of me. It's all about what Christ and what Christ has done in my place. See, Christianity is all about Jesus. Christianity isn't about what you know. It's about forgetting ourselves. Christianity is all about sin and grace and what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Christianity is all about us seeing for us for who we truly are as broken, sinful people and recognizing that God still loves us. Recognizing that he's still passionate about us. That he he forgives us on the cross and he calls us to follow him. And I start thinking about restoration churches. I'm thinking about, man, what is my prayer for us? My prayer is that we would be a people that when we stand before God for the basis of our faith, we wouldn't point to ourselves. We wouldn't point to all of our knowledge. We wouldn't point to that emotional response. We wouldn't point to all that we've done. We point to what Jesus has done. And the focus would be more on what Christ has done and less about us. That we would be a people who understand the fruit of our faith. The evidence of our faith isn't our knowledge. It isn't our emotions. It isn't our works. It's Jesus' works. It's what he's accomplished in our place. In fact, as we read through the Sermon on the Mount, nowhere on the Sermon on the Mount does Jesus ask us to go and, and do these things that these people have said to him. Nowhere on the Sermon on the Mount does Jesus ask us to go and prophesy. Nowhere in the Sermon on the Mount does Jesus tell us to go and cast out demons. Nowhere does he tell us to go and do miracles. In fact, those things would probably be easier than what Jesus has actually called us to do and asked us to do in the Sermon on the Mount. See, what Jesus has asked us to do, we talked about this two weeks ago, confess with our mouth, and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord. He's asked us to submit every part of our life to him. He's asked us to say, I'm going to be in charge of your life. I'm going to be in charge of your relationships, of your career, of your opinions, of your morality, of your money, of your hurts, of your anger, all these things. Jesus says, I want to be Lord of your life. He hasn't asked us to do these things. He's asked us to live as if he is Lord and to live in a relationship with him. That is the basis of our salvation. Start thinking about this and say, Christians, when you look at this and understand it, Christians are not people who have it all together. Christians are not people who, who live perfectly righteous lives. 
Because if that's the way it was, then none of us would be a Christian, myself included. We've all got our, our hangups that we're working through that God is, is redeeming in our hearts and in our, in our lives. Christianity is not about being good enough. It's about knowing that we are never going to be good enough and looking to Jesus to be good enough for us. And submitting our life in a relationship with him because of his grace, because of his love. And when we recognize that, when we recognize that I can't be good enough, I can't know enough about him to satisfy his to satisfy him. I, I can't be emotionally connected enough to him. I can't do enough to please him. When we recognize it's all about grace, it's all about what his son Jesus has done in our place that changes everything. That grace, his love, it changes every interaction with God. It changes everything we think. It changes everything we, we feel. It changes everything we do. God's grace changes those things. It changes our knowledge. Where instead of our, our knowledge being uh, to show God our performance, look how much I know about you, God. You've got to be pleased with me. No longer is it about that. Now the knowledge becomes about who God is and how he feels about me. I cease to think about how faithful I am, and I begin to think about how faithful he is to me. No longer is there a confidence in what I know about God. Now there's a confidence knowing that I'm not what I should be, but God loves me anyways. This is the genuine knowledge of who he is, of what grace and love does, and how it transforms our knowledge. Where my successes give me a reason to boast in the cross. And guess what? My failures give me opportunities to worship at the foot of the cross. This is what grace and love does to our knowledge. We're no longer just this, my confidence before you, God, look how much I know. Now it's the confidence and God, look how much you love me. Look how faithful you are to me. God's grace redeems our emotions and our feelings. Where emotions and feelings, uh, they change from, from a desire for behavior modification to a desire for a changed heart. Because we recognize that the problem in our life isn't an external problem. It's not all these actions we do. The problem in our life is our heart. And so our feelings become redeemed. Our feelings become rooted in the fact that we will f- never face a day so bad that we're beyond God's reach. And our feelings are rooted in the fact that, that even our good days are not so good that we are beyond the need of God's grace. God begins to redeem those feelings based on his grace and based on his love. And God begins to redeem our work and our performance based on his grace and his love. Now, I don't do things to be accepted by God. Now, I do things. Now I'm accepted, therefore I obey. Because of that grace, the motivation is different. I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to fear being rejected. Now because I know that God is my good father, I know that he loves me, I know that he knows me, I know that he accepts me. Because that's secure, now I can just serve him freely and give him my best. See, Jesus wants us to understand, and I want every one of us to understand, genuine faith, our our fruit that proves that we are genuine in our faith in Jesus Christ, is rooted 
not in what we do, not in what we believe, but is rooted in relationship with Jesus Christ because of what he has done on the cross. And here's a passage that Jesus gives us at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, challenging us with application. Let me read it one more time. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I would declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Listen, this morning, I don't want to, I don't want to frighten you. I don't want to scare you. I don't want to confuse you. I want to warn you. I want to awaken you as Jesus just did to us. Because we naturally gravitate to what is easy. We naturally gravitate to what is popular. When we're looking at those two roads, the wide road that leads to destruction and the narrow road, the wide road with many people on it, the narrow road with few people on it, we naturally gravitate to what's easy, to to what's popular. We naturally gravitate here. And Jesus is trying to warn us. Say, listen, this is where eternal life is found, on this narrow road. This morning, listen, we don't need this quick little fix. We don't need to pray a little prayer or do a little ritual to make ourselves feel better. We don't need to check the box one more time. And I had one more emotional experience with Jesus, and I'm in. The question for you this morning is, do you know him? Does he know you? Is your faith rooted in a relationship with him? I'll tell you what, that's what I want our church to be all about. People coming in from every walk of life. Different colors, different economical backgrounds. And they're not going to come in and say, you need to know these certain things. They're not going to come in and we're not going to tell them, man, you've got you've to do all these things to, to earn God's approval. No, I want people to come into this place and know what we're about is a relationship with Jesus Christ. What I want for our city is not to have more knowledge, not to have an emotional response, not to do things, but to have a relationship with Jesus Christ that changes everything.